0: Are you overwhelmed and exhausted by everyday life and also worried that you're not doing enough? My guest today is Kate Donovan. She's an international speaker as well as the host of Fried, the burnout podcast. She's here to teach us the difference between normal stress and official burnout because yes, that's a real thing and how to transform the resentment that you feel into an inner compass that allows you to set better boundaries and retrain the people around you to solve their own problems my name is colleen cashman i'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Are you a type A, high-performing perfectionist in the habit of using alcohol to reduce your stress But too much stress has led to too much drinking, and now you're secretly wondering if you need help. Pause this episode and get into the show notes to register for my free masterclass this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You'll learn how alcohol use disorder, which just means that you drink more than you think you should drink, how that develops subconsciously over time when you associate alcohol with stress relief which is why, as you already know, simply taking a break to reset your tolerance doesn't work for long. Because if you ever pour alcohol on your stress again, you'll end up right back where you started. I will teach you the six essential elements of my accelerated recovery process that you can follow to quickly retrain your brain so that you can enjoy drinking again in moderation without worrying that you're gonna lose control. And I just want to say that if you were uh, attended the master class last week, I did the whole thing with the wrong camera selected. So I thought everybody could see my slides. I could see them but nobody could, and I didn't realize that until I went to send the replay. Ugh, you know, technology, whatever. It was still a great presentation, even without the slides, but if you were there last week, feel free to register and come again. Quite frankly, there's so much information crammed into this one hour. I'm really proud. This is the best presentation I've ever put together in terms of like a one and done, you know, get the information you need. Um, It's just impossible to absorb all of it. You really do need to see it Multiple times. So attend as many times as you want and come again if you'd like to see my really good slides. And before we dive into today's episode, I just want to put into context this concept of burnout and how valuable it can be to reframe whatever it is that you're going through in a different or a bigger, broader context. When I look back at my drinking days, you know, I drank overdrank for 20 years. And if I got stuck in this idea that I have a drinking problem and identified as somebody who always struggles with alcohol, that would just play out a lot differently in my life than when I give myself permission to see the bigger picture that the reason I was using alcohol was because it had become the tool and then over time the only tool that I had available to me to deal with the overwhelming pressure that I was placing on myself and also that life places on us, that our culture places on us to do and to be all of the things for everybody else without acknowledging that if you do all of those things all the time, you're going to lose yourself in the process. I was raised, you were probably raised, to be a good mother, a good wife, a good daughter, a contributing member of our communities, a good employee, a good boss, like whatever. And when you are caught up in all of that, your brain learns that the only needs you can really get away with neglecting are your own. Now, you don't get away with it. I didn't get away with it. Hello, burnout. And truth be told, as I look back over my own life, nobody benefited from my performance as an Energizer Bunny. Like my kids, my family, my community, my career, like nobody became stronger or better or happier because I was sacrificing myself on the altar of perfection, In fact, when it comes to my kids who are now in their 20s, I can see the lessons that I taught them that now they're going to have to learn or unlearn the hard way. For the first time in my life as a mother, I'm actually finally setting a good example. I'm finally the role model that they actually need when it comes to mental health. And a huge part of that is having compassion for the mistakes I've made because they have led to the lessons I've learned. And that is why this episode is so important. Because once you shift from alcohol is the problem to alcohol is a symptom of the problem, you can have compassion for yourself and you can take full responsibility for what needs to change. And I love this episode because it is full of tiny tidbits, small action items, simple shifts in your perspective that will allow you to see that you have the power to change how you respond to stress. You have to learn how to happen to your own life instead of just letting life happen to you and feeling like you're getting waterboarded every day. So in this episode, Kate is going to talk about the three symptoms that qualify you for official burnout, because it is important to understand if you are in burnout, because at that point, you have to accept that pushing through and just telling yourself it'll be better when, or you'll relax as soon as, like that's not going to work burnout, like addiction, is a downhill spiral. And again, this is a mental mindset of how you're thinking about and processing and the story you're telling yourself. That is really what needs to change because life's just going to keep happening. 24 hours every day and the world's revolving around the sun and you have to orient yourself outside of the thought loops that are keeping you running around in circles. We're gonna get into the type of person or personality that is more susceptible to burnout. And as it will not be a surprise, most people in helping professions are much more vulnerable to burnout. And it's not because the helping professions are inherently so overwhelming, even though they are, it's, again, how you respond. She's going to explain why it's actually the reasons that you're drawn to the helping profession that you may be in, in the first place, that cause the downstream burnout. And we're going to talk about the dark side of, quote, helping others that is actually keeping us stuck in the cycle of victimhood and martyrdom and self-neglect and how often we are avoiding our own needs and responsibility for ourselves by telling ourselves a story that other people need us and that we can't take care of ourselves. When the reality is our primary responsibility as a human being is to take care of ourselves. And Kate is going to discuss her strategy for how to use your resentment of other people as an internal compass that allows you to set the boundaries you need, not just with other people, but with yourself as well. And towards the end, she's going to give you her BRAT method, B-R-A-T, BRAT method, which is a very simple tool that you can use to communicate your boundaries and retrain the people around you to solve their own problems. So this episode is fabulous. It is a little long, so feel free to pause halfway through and then come back and finish the rest because the conversation we have just keeps getting better the longer it goes. We could have talked for hours. We cut it right at the hour. So I'm going to stop talking now and we'll dive into the episode. Kate Donovan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I can't believe we get to
1: do this with each other. Isn't podcasting such a lucky world?
0: It is, and we, you and I recorded last week for your show, and you've been in my head. We've been having conversations. I've been also listening to your podcast and following more, and it's just so fun. This medium of podcasting allows us to really not just feel like we get to know each other, but actually get to know each other so that when we are talking in real life, there's so much more context and background. It's really interesting. I love it. Yeah, I'm a fan myself. So I'm excited to introduce you to my audience. I'll tell you, the first time I heard you were on Andrea Owens' podcast, I was on a plane, and your take and explanation of what burnout is, as well as your uh, four-part strategy for dealing with resentment, really changed my life, really got off that plane and began to instantly implement the tools and the perspective that you shared. So I'm so excited to bring you into my audience because, as you know, I deal with women who, you know, have had an alcohol use disorder in the past. And then once you quit drinking, you realize, oh, shit, there was a reason I was drinking. And often it has to do with this burnout thing. And the deepest I have really gone is when you hear yourself say, I'm really burned out you should believe that. Mm. However, what I'd really like to get into is what it means when you think you're burned out, what it means to actually be burned out. And then also I forgot to say, please introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Let's start with that. Yeah. I am the resentment queen mm-hmm. and
1: the burnout diagnostician. Okay. One of my favorite this- things to do is figure out the, the underneath of what's going on with your burnout. People like to call this a root cause. I don't believe in a root cause so we can get into that in a minute. But my background is as an acupuncturist and an herbalist, Chinese medicine. I did my life coach training as an apprenticeship in 2009. I am an international keynote speaker. That's my favorite thing to do. I love getting on stage and especially the resentment thing that you mentioned in the beginning. It's one of my favorite keynotes to give because the whole room just leaves like you could see jaws unclenching and shoulders relaxing. And it's an hour, you know, like it's just such a fun thing to do. In addition to that, I host Fried the Burnout podcast. I'm an author. And what else do I do?
0: Yeah, one-on-one coaching. coaching Yeah, of course. So we (laughs) have
1: one-on-one coaching and group coaching that's all related to burnout recovery. But you said that sometimes underneath the drinking, there's burnout. And what I want to bring something up that I think would be interesting for us to play with because I believe that the reasons we burn out are the same reasons we drink. So I don't think burnout is the underneath reason. I think burnout, we end up in burnout because we are trying to avoid our emotional lives. Not only. This is part of it. But we end up drinking and eating too much sugar and doing too much Netflix and do because we're trying to avoid the emotional pain of our lives. So I think that Burnout is very highly correlated with the workplace, which according to its official definition from the World Health Organization, which I sort of disagree with. But again, we, we could have a lot of side conversations, very highly correlated with the workplace. But I believe that there is some sort of addiction to action in order to feel worthy and in order to numb Mm -hmm. and we should while we're talking about this talk about the sort of this difference this the way we can separate burnout and just stress so if you are coming home on the weekend and you say oh I'm burnt out I'm not actually sure that I want you to believe that right away I want you to sort of check yourself before you wreck yourself because if you are actually burnt out and you go home for the weekend, and you have your weekend, and you wake up on Monday, and maybe you're not excited to go to work, but you have enough energy, and you're restored, and you're ready, you're rejuvenated. You might hate your job, but that's a completely separate conversation. That's not burnout. That's just stress, which I don't mean just stress to minimize stress because stress can lead to burnout, but you're not burnt out yet. Mm -hmm. If you are actually burnt out, you could take an entire month off of work, and still not feel rested. The The difference is in your ability to recover. In mm-hmm. your ability to bounce back. So we need to separate that. We need to understand that if a really good conversation with a friend automatically leads to us feeling better, probably not burnout. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. When I have experienced what I now can identify as burnout, which at this stage of my recovery and of my life, I can see the symptoms of burnout and move in the other direction. So my first question is, I doubt like anything else, there's a smoking gun, there's a line that you cross, you are in burnout. When I experience burnout, what I notice for myself, it's more warning signs as opposed to okay this is my reality because I know what's coming and that is really negative thinking, not having energy, feeling completely overwhelmed with things that normally excite me like doing a podcast interview or creating, you know, content for my next group call. Like normally that gets me out of bed. And what I find is when I'm really negative, this is pointless. It's more of the narrative in my head that also correlates, but I may not be paying attention to the physical symptoms of fatigue. It's more of an emotional mental state where I just want to make it stop. Like I don't even know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. And that is why I think burnout is so interesting, because that is
1: absolutely your truth, and it's absolutely true. And somebody else might be like, oh, actually, I know that I'm going down the wrong path when I start getting migraines. And somebody else says, I know I'm going down the wrong path when my ulcerative colitis starts flaring up really frequently. I know I'm going down the wrong path when X, Y, Z, that shoulder pain pops up again that's not related to anything physical because I've had it checked up, down, and sideways by every doctor from here to Istanbul. So I think that there's this, we need to understand that when stress affects the body, it will always attack your weakest areas. This is called a constitutional thing in Chinese medicine. So your constitution will lead to your symptoms eventually. And this also is, there can be a lack of integrity in your body's ability to keep you healthy because you had like severe diarrhea when you were six, which means that now when stress really affects you, you get diarrhea. Or mm-hmm. some sort of stomach upset, right? So your body, your st- the stress will uh, kind of attack first where things are already weak. So That means for everybody, the symptom that's going to be their red flag is going to be different. But if we want to talk about the actual definition of burnout, that is in the, the World Health Organization, May 28th, 2019, decided that burnout was going to be a thing. They used research from Christina Moslock and her team of people that she's been working with for 40 years. And they said in order for us to call something burnout they don't use the word diagnose because it's not a diagnosis yet in order to say that someone is burnt out they need to have three components the first is emotional and physical exhaustion so this is what you're talking about this is the piece that feels most familiar to you right the next one is cynicism and detachment so you you are you find this a little bit in yours too you're turning to those negative thoughts the detachment is more this, the idea behind this detachment is like this being separate, feeling separate from other people, feeling alone, feeling like no one can help you, feeling like no one understands you, feeling like you're out on an island or that you'd love to be out on an island by yourself in an invisibility cloak so people will stop asking you for things. And And then step number three, the third thing that needs to be present, and all three of these things have to be present at the same time, for it to be burnout. The third thing is a lack of productivity. So now we're talking about not wanting to get your work done or not feeling able to get your work done and or not understanding the impact that your work slash life slash presence has on the world. Like, yeah, now we're back to this thing that you said, but this is all pointless. This doesn't yeah. matter, right? This So all three of those things have to be present in order for us to say that something is burnout. But if we take the first one, Physical and emotional exhaustion. This is where we start to see how for everyone it comes up differently. How you experience physical exhaustion and how somebody else's body experiences physical exhaustion might be completely different. So I think this is why burnout is so kind of people are like not sure and then they're a little embarrassed and then they feel guilty and they're like. Because it's hard
0: to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it to figure out? (laughs) You know, like for me, I always say the question itself, am I drinking too much, is your answer. If you're asking the question. So how is that similar with burnout? Uh, Yes, I do
1: believe that it is. And I think that there's there also needs to be an understanding that with burnout, when you get to the point where you're actually All three of those components are present. You can't bounce back from it. You took a week or 10 days off and you're still feeling like crap. When you're in that space, there have been actual physiological changes to your brain that have happened. The reason that I believe it's important to know that you're burnt out is because I would hope that it would encourage you to treat yourself differently because you cannot push through being burnt out in order for your brain to revert back to its normal settings you actually need to reset and in order to reset you actually need to feel safe enough for your brain to start regrowing in a normal pattern but if the research is really clear that the brain, especially the piece of your brain that sits right behind your forehead you literally lose brain cells so i'm talking about an actual structural change to your brain when you're burnt out. And I think, so I think it's important to know it only because at that point, I hope it would, understanding what's really happening in your body would help you to give yourself a little more grace and say, oh, I can't actually push through this right now. I do need to address this right now. My body actually needs my attention and support because otherwise I'm not, this is not going to return. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I was a little surprised with when I was checking you out and I found your Facebook group, and I love the resources you put in there. It's amazing. I want you to tell everybody at the end about it. But you refer to burnout recovery. Mm. And being in the space that I am with alcohol use disorder, I'm very familiar with recovery and how, you know, you didn't get this way overnight. This is a learning process. You learned addiction. Your brain formed the habit. It merged the desires. You know, all of that changes the prefrontal cortex, all of that. You learned how to respond to your stress with alcohol. Okay. So now the recovery process does include brain chemistry and nervous system regulation and changing your habits. It's all the same. It's a learning process. Mm -hmm. But I find it, uh, I found it like, oh, there's a recovery from burnout. Can you say more about how you approach the idea that this is a recovery process and then what it looks like for the average burned out person? Which there is no average. There's just one person who's burned out. I get it. Uh,
1: but I would say simply that for people that are here listening, it's much the same as what you talk about here. It's the same recovery process. It's the same unwinding of thought patterns. It's the same choosing to treat yourself differently. It's the same. This is something that is particular to my work, I believe, in sometimes can be a little jarring, but it's the same ability to quit neglecting yourself. Yeah. It's the same, and I think that uh, we do need to recognize, and I fully recognize, I have an entire sheet of paper that gives a holistic view of burnout. I know that culture has something to do with it, and I know that your workplace piles onto it. I know those things. I know your family history matters with this. I know it. I have read all the research. And if you are consistently putting yourself in work situations where you are exploited and not treated well and bullied, and that's the piece that belongs to you. Mm -hmm. If you are leaving yourself behind enough because you think you have to put up with this bullshit, that's the problem we have to handle. The strength to get you out of the situations that make you act in the way that you do. So you can't change how other people act, but you can remove yourself from environments. And that is a jarring thought for a lot of people who are burnt out, who say, I can't just quit my job. I have bills to pay. I'm not telling you to quit your job tomorrow. I'm telling you to start an escape plan Mm -hmm. because you deserve one and because you need one. Part of recovery is understanding that there's something going on in the brain, that it's not your fault that you feel this way and that you can't push through it. So accepting that piece. Part of recovery is looking at the external circumstances and saying, what can I influence here and what can I not influence here so I have to pull myself away from? And what do I need to learn to manage because it really actually can't change? We talked about this when you were on, you said everything is a choice. You could walk out on your kids tomorrow. And I agree with that. And there are some things you are not going to agree to change. So let's put those in a bucket of things you need to learn how to manage better. And then let's see what you can change, what you can't, and then figure out, stay, we call this in my work, we call this, are we quitting or are we gritting? This is the quit or grit question. Are you staying? Or are you going? How are we going to figure this out? And then we have to look at all the internal stuff the thought processes, the the coping mechanisms, the way that we use them, the
0: all of that stuff. So you mentioned something in the beginning about burnout being an addiction to the doing. Mm. I would also extend that, as you I'm sure will, to the helping. Yeah. And the profile of those of us who are most susceptible to addiction, or excuse me, to burnout is, are usually people who are in helping professions, your nurses, mm. your teachers, your caregivers. And so what? where this gets really mind-blowing is to, and I love that you said there's no root cause, but I do think there's upstream yes. thought processes and ways we identify how we're getting our own needs met to where helping is, actually a way that we are getting our own needs met by feeling validated or needed or like we're contributing or connected. And so we believe way upstream that we have to do these things. And then we find ourselves running through the same cul-de-sac of stupidity. This job is just like the last job. This relationship is just like the last relationship. Can you speak to almost the profile, whether it be of personality or a belief system, Where helping and self-sacrifice, maybe some martyrdom in there that's always fun, is actually what is contributing to this. So this is, let's go back to, we're going to take a step
1: even before that. We're going to go further back. When you talk about that group of people that you just spoke about, the teachers, the nurses, the caregivers, the this is also true for law enforcement and true for a couple of other uh, nonprofit workers and, you know, all, all, just the helping zone. Mm-hmm. Before we get to how they're acting now, we go back to the fact that, and I wrote a paper on this group of people has a much higher rate of adverse childhood experiences than the average population. So the average population, 17% of people have at least one adverse childhood experience. But in order for an adverse childhood experience to shift your brain development and shift your patterns, it's typical to say that you need at three or four of the 10 aces that you can take a quiz online it's you know you can find it anywhere so if you have these aces and you have three or four of them you are much more likely to choose a helping job this is for two reasons in my belief the first one is because you don't want people to suffer like you suffered so you choose a way to support children at school because you were bullied you choose a way to protect people in relationships by becoming a cop so that you can interfere when something's going wrong. You, you, choo- you choose, you saw someone die as a child, you become a nurse or an EMT. So these, the driving force for choosing that position in the first place then exploits the additional helping mechanisms on top of it. But the problem isn't really your coping mechanisms or your helping mechanisms, the problem is how you're thinking about them and how you're using them, right? So this is kind of what you were getting at at getting to the martyrdom, the self-sacrifice, the, and you said that I'm getting my, you're trying to get your needs met by helping and then feeling valuable. But what I find to be true is that we're trying to prove our value by meeting other people's needs It doesn't actually make us feel valuable. And we don't actually tend to get the the amount of gratitude and appreciation that we think we deserve for all the sacrifice that we're making for a couple of reasons. One, we're often making sacrifices that no one knows about and we're not talking about and no one fucking asked for. Excuse my French. No one's asking for your help, but you're fixing everything and then you're mad that people are not showering you with love and affection. And the, thir- the next reason is because even when people do show you gratitude, you don't take it. So you're stuck in this like, I'm going to help everybody. I'm going to forget that I exist, eliminate my own needs, meet everybody else's needs in the hopes that someone will finally act like I act and recognize my unmet needs like I recognize other people's unmet needs, and then fill me up when I'm not even paying attention. This is the self-neglect, the self-abandonment that is at the core. But this self-abandonment, this self-neglect is related to trauma. Often, not always. Sometimes it's a pattern of behavior that you learn from a parent, right? So I think the thing that we really need to dig into at the end of the day is finding where the line exists between serving and feeling fueled by that because the interesting thing about what we're talking about is all the research shows that people who volunteer are healthier and happier but then you have people that are sacrificing themselves constantly that feel like shit all the time so how do we shift the line from i must serve at the detriment of myself in order to be worth life, living, love, affection, money, anything. And I have extra that I would love to allow to overflow onto other people. Yeah. That was a lot.
0: No, it was great. And what I want you to do, if you would, you shared a story about the cupcakes that I so identified with in terms of such a simple way to, to litmus test, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Can you, do you know what I'm talking about? The cupcake story?
1: The person who volunteers to bring the cupcakes for birthdays?
0: Yeah. The, the one who brings it on the first day of the yes. new job and yeah. then becomes the cupcake lady. Share that. So this is something that I think is, can be extrapolated
1: into many ways, but this is an example of how we show up in new relationships and in new spaces and what that means for us long-term. So you just got a new job and you want everybody to like you. So you go to the store and you buy a package of cupcakes and you show up and you say, nice to meet you guys. You know, I'm nice to meet everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Here's the cupcakes. And then you notice that there's like a birthday coming up. So you go and buy cupcakes again because you're now the birthday's coming up. So you buy the cupcakes again. And now people are starting to think of you as like the lady that provides the cupcakes. And this pattern forms where you're the lady that buys the cupcakes and the lady that buys the cupcakes and the lady that buys the cupcakes until one day your kid puked on themselves this morning on the way out the door. You're, you found out last night that your husband's cheating on you. You had too much to drink and you're hungover and you're like, holy shit, it's cupcake day. I can't even, I like, I can't do this anymore. Nobody appreciates the cupcakes. Somebody else can do the cupcakes. And you're like losing your mind about the cupcakes and about how nobody appreciates you and about how everything's backwards. And I don't know if the, the you know, the same exact way that I told the story last time, I know that it's not. But the idea is who, what persona are you bringing with you? And is it the one you really want to have? This is when we get into what you mentioned at the beginning, my favorite tool for burnout recovery the number one thing that will help you recover from burnout is resentment.
0: Okay, let's do it.
1: As soon as you notice that you're resentful about those cupcakes, it's time to shift a boundary. Resentment every single time will tell you, A, where your boundaries are being crossed, B, if it's you crossing your own boundary or someone crossing a boundary from the outside, C, how you are self-neglecting, And D, did I say one, two, CD? That's fine, right? Yeah,
0: it's perfect. (laughs) And D,
1: it will show you all the things that you are not admitting that you want. So for instance, this happened to me just the other day. I've been working with resentment for seven years. My husband was home. I was home. Our dishwasher broke. I decided to wash the dishes that were in the sink just to get rid of them and he decided to continue laying on the couch
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) and I started to get irritated Yeah, but and I started to feel resentful here I am doing the dishes again and you're like I wasn't actually mad that he wasn't doing the dishes I was mad that I wasn't laying on the couch Right. I was mad that he was allowing himself the space and benefit and to just rest Yeah, And I was not allowing myself the same thing. This was not based in anger. This was based in envy.
0: Yes. You were resentful or envious of the fact that he wasn't bothering himself with a story that these damn dishes are the cause of the anxiety that I'm experiencing in my body, as though dishes can cause anxiety. It's the story in your head. Brene Brown has a line that has... I've extracted and used. Resentment is when you are envious of someone for giving themselves permission to do what it is that you won't give yourself permission to do. Big reframe there.
1: Huge.
0: And she says, and this idea of resentment being part of
1: the envy group of emotions comes to me from straight from Brene Brown. I did not. That part was not part of mine because in my world, resentment belongs to the anger group of emotions because the emotions that you most often associate with resentment are irritation, frustration, anger, annoyance. Right. So that's the surface level. Of what's going on. So when we're working with resentment, we're looking for all of those things. Where are you most even? This sounds stupid, everybody, but I promise you, if you start doing things like this, you will start recovering from burnout. If you wake up in the morning and you decide to have eggs and you have eggs every damn day and you put your eggs in your pan and those eggs stick to that pan and you are so frustrated because every damn day your eggs are sticking to the damn pan and you're starting your day scraping the pan and being super, buy a new fucking pan. Yeah. Stop irritating yourself with things that can be fixed. I had a I talk about this on the podcast a lot and I had somebody write to me. It was so funny. She said, I think that you probably just changed my life and saved my marriage. And I was like, that's wonderful news. Tell me more, you know. And she said, we have a kitchen drawer that even though it's not full, for some reason doesn't stay closed. It just pops open all the time, just a little bit. And my husband is always blaming me for not closing the drawer. And I'm always blaming him for not closing the drawer. And we're both annoyed that the drawer isn't closed. She said, you know, I started thinking about after that episode, I started thinking about what could I do about this drawer? I can't afford a carpenter right now. No one's coming in to change the drawer. I don't know how to change the mechanism of the drawer. She said, you know what I did? I bought an extra strength magnet. Like, the both sides of a magnet that had like that Gorilla Glue, like yeah. on the yeah. back of it. She said, I put two sides on each, like on the inside of the drawer front and on the drawer on the cabinet. And then I shut it and it stayed shut. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it seems like such
0: a small thing, but there's 89 of those things happening in your life all day, every day. And what it took was not being burned out and being able to shift out of realizing the problem here is the emotion, not the drawer, solving for the emotion, which restores your cognitive function, big picture thinking. The other night I chose to go to bed. This was over the holidays. I chose to go to bed early practicing Mm -hmm. self-care while uh, my soon-to-be ex-husband and all the kids were up basically frat housing. I get up in the morning and it looks like a frat house. And I had a choice there. I did not have to clean up the kitchen and I acknowledged that. But what I did say is what would give me joy right now? And I decided, okay, I'm just going to do these two rooms and I'm going to I'm going to create joy for myself to restore this space, and then they can all clean up everything else later. Also knowing I didn't have to. So the story in my head wasn't, nobody cares about me. They're up all night, damn fools. And here I am getting up to go to work. Now I have to clean up the kitchen. That is where resentment is born when we don't step back and realize, oh, you have a choice. You don't have to clean up the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But are you also able to not be bothered by the story in your head that the kitchen is not cleaned up? So it, it really is about stepping back out of it. And I assume as we circle back to this idea of recovery, you know, how does one get to a place? Because I can tell you the two examples we just gave with the magnet on the drawer and the frat house in the morning, that requires a lot of work. And it actually gets kind of emotionally exhausting in the beginning to reframe because you're trying to change the way you think and the, the way you change how you're responding and reacting. And that takes a lot of bandwidth in the beginning. And if you except, are burned out. Yeah, except hard. this is where I, this one,
1: well, the Resentment Journal mm-hmm. is how we make this easier. Okay. Right. There's, a, it's a course on my website. This is how you do it. This is the paper you used to do it on. These are the questions that you use to figure it out. You don't have to do the work or the thinking. I've done it already for you. You just have to pay enough attention to your resentments and write them down so that we can then start to sort through them. And I think that this is some one of those things that we fail to recognize is that the energy that it is costing you to have the strength of those emotions is the same amount of energy it will take for you to notice the things that need to be fixed. It's not different amounts of energy. It's the same exact energy being used in a different way. So if you can find all of the resentments and then start to shift them one by one, you are simply using that same energy in a different way. It's not more cost. Yeah. Right. Just everybody's that what there was, I don't know where this came from. It's been in the um, life coaching world for and personal growth world forever. The energy to change is the same as the energy to stay the same, right? Being the same and feeling stuck and feeling annoyed and feeling resentful and being disappointed and being exhausted. That costs the same amount as choosing to do it a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This idea that there's something that requires more energy, that you have a certain amount of energy each day. It's kind of like time. There's 24 hours in the day. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your energy? Are you investing energy in a lost cause that's a downward spiral? We call that or an energy are, leak. Yes. Leak, a leaky energy bucket. Or are you investing energy in a way that's going to free up more focus and energy towards things that actually bring you joy and happiness. And I would a little bit,
1: not fully, but a little bit disagree with that there's this finite amount of energy during the day. Because Mm -hmm. how much energy you have to spend during the day is dependent on, again, there's no root cause, a million factors. How well did you sleep last night? You might have less energy to manage this shit today if you didn't sleep last night. How? What was your breakfast like this morning? Did you have enough protein? Are did you get enough nutrients? Do you have enough trace minerals? Are you? Do you got enough magnesium? I, the simple things. So our the way that we utilize our energy is dependent on the fuel that we have, and the fuel comes in the form of relationships, emotional fuel of. Food, physical fuel, of sleep, restorative fuel, right? There's all these different types of fuel that we need, but you can. I want everybody to stop and think about a day that they were maybe not having the best day and they were feeling exhausted and everything was kind of shitty. And then you looked out your window and there was just this crazy, beautiful sunset. And it made your whole body just drop an inch into relaxation and just oh wow that is incredibly beautiful and then all of a sudden you had enough energy left to do the dishes I think you can mm. refuel in, in ways like this during the day and so you it's not like a you don't wake up with a hundred and go to bed with zero you wake up with a hundred and then you maybe spend 20 and then you eat 40 and then you spend 10 and then you know like it's this like sort of jagged edge And this is slightly off topic, but according in Chinese medicine, one of the things that we talk about is when you go to sleep at night, you should have reserves in your battery. So this is a, a big mindset shift for people that are used to burning themselves out. People that are used to burning themselves out will go from 100 to zero every day, go to bed at zero and expect to recharge. In order to recharge, you have to have something to work with. So in one of my very first teachers of Chinese medicine said, I, I don't want your battery to really go under 50, because mm-hmm. if you're at 50, then you use that other 50 to restore and renew your body while you sleep in order to be at 100. If you go down to zero, you can only refuel to 50. You can't, you don't have the stuff to refuel to 100. Does that, so that was a little bit two different conversations, but I thought that was important to say. Or I thought that was an important well, add.
0: What I find is that when I take small breaks during the day, Mm -hmm. I can refuel. This is a new concept to me. I just turned 50. It's like it's my first day here on the planet where learning what I, I like to say driving my body like a stick shift where when to push in on the clutch, when to pull out, when to look for that tension, and what I find is if I don't get too far away you know, like letting the toilet paper roll, unroll all the way down. If I keep it, then it is more of a sustainable practice. Like Mm -hmm. I can restore my energy, even though I'm tired. Sometimes that means I need to go lay down for 15 minutes. Sometimes it means I need to get my ass outside and walk. Yes. And what I heard you say is that... we are different every single day. Yes. Our external circumstances are different, our hormones, our sleep, our ab- our stress resilience. And so what we have to do is learn to live from the inside out mm-hmm. and stop saying, I should be able mm-hmm. to do 8,437 things every single day on this, no matter what the other factors are. And we're not adjusting our gas gauge or responding in real time I work with women who, you know, they've got the babies, they've got the full-time job, Mm -hmm. and they talk about, you know, the only me time I get is 8.30 at night, you know, and often there's drinking involved in my story with that Mm -hmm. or with people. And if you need 30 seconds every hour, like 30 seconds to a minute. And we don't believe that's enough. But it is. That's part of the problem is we think it's an all or nothing. I need to... Totally relax. I need to go to the gym every day for two hours, or else I might as well not go at all.
1: And this all or nothing thinking is really prevalent in substance abuse. It's also really prevalent in burnout. Yeah.
0: It's- so, talk to me then about what the physiological place is where you talked about brain changes. Okay, I'm in burnout. You are here on the map, mark your spot, Burnoutville what does it look like to recover especially for people who are like okay i literally can't quit my job i literally you know can't afford to get meal prep i literally can't afford certain things like how do they change with the small things and what does recovery actually look like so they start the small
1: things start with we we call this life this stage life pruning we take all of we cut away all of the branches and all of the leaves That are getting your energy, that don't need it, that are not going to make your tree more beautiful, that are not doing anything for you. So first we prune. We get rid of things. This is taking things off of your plate. Most people think they don't have things they can take off their plates. This is when we use the resentment journal. The first question in the resentment journal when you're writing down your resentments and you have to go through this thing called the question sieve, the very first question is, does this thing that I'm resentful over even need to be done at all? ever by anyone? Is it absolutely life affirming necessary? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, it gets cut out. We'll manage the guilt you feel about that later. Yeah. But we take it off the plate first. So the beginning of burnout recovery is life pruning, because like you said that, you know, we do need to find ways to garner some of your own energy so that we can do further things. So we do life pruning. We do the resentment journal. These sort of overlap because we need to find all of the places where you are self-neglecting and learn how we can make different choices. We need to find all of the places where you are overgiving, being, we call this good person syndrome in my work, where you are being overly helpful, meddling, martyring, all of this behavior, all of the stuff that no one is thanking you for that you know, probably half of it doesn't need to be done, that, all that stuff. We need to go through upgrading some of the systems that you think are impossible to change, getting a new pan, sharpening your knife because you're so mad every time you try and slice a tomato, closing your kitchen cabinets, finally getting rid of that bag of clothes to donate that's been in your trunk for six months. We clear all that stuff out and then we go step by step through practice and whatever you're going to be practicing is going to be whatever your stuff is one of my it's funny that you use the car in neutral one of my clients now what we're working on is she's asking herself all day every day how could this situation be considered neutral because her tendency is to put everything into extremes everything is super good or super bad or super urgent or totally irrelevant. Like, how do we make everything neutral? Which everything isn't neutral, let's be honest. But if we can learn to try to look at it that way, we shift perspective. So her job is to try and find what it means for this thing to be neutral. You get an opportunity. It's last minute. You don't know if you're going to be able to prepare. If I can't do this opportunity, I'll probably get another one at a different time. And that's fine. Like this opportunity is not the end all be all of everything that's ever happened in my life. This is neutral. This is a thing that I can use or not use, commit to or not commit to. The opportunity in and of itself doesn't mean anything. How can I move on from that? So as some people might be one of number one rule for coaches in my business is we do not demonize a coping mechanism ever. I don't care if it's Mm -hmm. drinking, perfectionism, people pleasing. I don't care what it is. We never demonize a coping mechanism. Because there's a reason that you have it. And one of the reasons that you have it is because when you started using it, it worked. And then you just kept repeating it. So Mm -hmm. it's not bad for you to have found something that worked. The problem is when that thing that works becomes the only thing that works. And when it becomes applied to places where it doesn't actually need to exist. So I don't want you to not be a perfectionist. I just want you to choose your perfectionism wisely. Use it where it's really useful. And let go of it. The rest, not totally let go. I don't really believe in letting go, but transform it into different things in other places. Where is it really useful? If you're my neurosurgeon next week, could you like be a perfectionist during that process, please? I I don't, I'm not really looking for you to let go of that at that time. I even want my account, my tax account and it's tax season. Please don't mess this up, but you know, but does it matter how you stack your dishes in your dishwasher? you might need to run the dishwasher twice because they don't get perfectly clean the first time. Who cares?
0: Yeah. Why is that a problem? Who cares? Yep. Yep.
1: So we start looking for the places where we can utilize well, the things that we have built that are useful on some level to us. Where is people pleasing useful? Where is it okay to step out of yourself and serve other people But when you're doing it intentionally, the energy is different. Something say, you know, if my something happened to one of your in-laws. And you have to drop everything and you have to go deal with it. Do you have to? No, you have a choice. Do you think that it's the right thing to do and you're going to do it anyway? And, And it is a little bit of a sacrifice on your part. It's okay to sacrifice in that moment. But you have to find a way to pay yourself back
0: something else else has to else. not get done
1: something else has to not get done and or you have to ref- allow yourself to be refueled in a stronger way than usual so maybe you say you know what i've got to do this it means i have to cancel six clients i've got you know this happened that happened all these things happened it's such a nightmare everything's getting moved out of the way after all is said and done i'm going to go get a 60 minute massage
0: yeah
1: because i need to give myself something back even a bath. Maybe it's a nice bath milk. I don't, whatever. I don't even care
0: what it is. And so often those of us that suffer from this mindset Mm. of helper, martyr, giver, we don't give ourselves permission to pay ourselves back. We don't even think we have to. Because we think if I can't justify the need, I can't justify the cost of the massage or the hour that it's going to take or asking somebody Mm -hmm. else for support unless I'm bleeding out my eyeballs and also my asshole. And then maybe I can justify that. So what I hear you saying is kind of the same thing that I say with anxiety. It's a lot easier to deal with anxiety when it's on a a two out of 10 on a scale of one to 10, when it's a 10 your circuit breakers are blown like that's a bit much bigger correction than if you learn how to correct in real time with small actions that balance out the giving with the self care the receiving the support that your body needs it's not even about you and your warrior mindset right. it's your body is a human body and its the needs are not negotiable if you have to pee then that you have to pee. You can't argue your way out of not needing to pee or whatever it is. This is the hashtag
1: of Friday: is pee when you have to pee. There you go. I love that. (laughs) Because one of the one of the big things that I didn't mention is part of the burnout recovery is once you start getting things out of the way and you start practicing not being a perfectionist and not the next thing on the list is foundational self-care. And foundational self-care is not about bathtubs, it's not about massages, it's not about manicures. Foundational self-care is pee when you have to pee, rest when you're tired, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, move when you feel like moving. Foundational self-care is your ability to stop overriding your body's signals and start paying attention to them. And the reason that this is important first is because it allows you to refuel. But more importantly than that, this is how you build self-trust. Your body gives you a signal and you say, okay, body, I got you. Your body gives you a signal and you say, okay, body, I got that too. And over time, your body starts to trust that when it tells you something, You are going to respond appropriately. So it stops needing to scream and yell and shut down in order to get your attention. When you build that self-trust, the thing that gets built underneath that is a feeling of safety. When you have safety, what you're able to do is neuroplasticity. In order for your brain to regrow, in order for your brain to shift, in order to make the changes you want to make, you have to feel safe. It's the the only non-negotiable in this process. You learn to feel safe by peeing when you have to pee.
0: Yeah. And the biggest shift is to realize if you may or may not, as a listener, be familiar with the feeling of, or using the words, I don't feel safe. I have a client right now who recognizes that's a thing. But where we always come back to is you're not safe with yourself. Exactly. There's a boundary you're blowing through. There's a stop sign. There's a no that needs to be a no. And you're projecting that into other people not seeing your needs or not respecting. And ultimately, it's you don't, you're not safe with yourself because you're literally willing to bend over bra- backwards until you're broken to please or. You know, get what you need from somebody else. And that feeling of safety, realizing you give that to yourself, it is also a bit of a, a mind shift, you know, because we're so used to blaming how we feel on the people around us. You give it to
1: yourself and it is a result of co-regulation. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the safety that you have with yourself starts with meeting your specific needs, and then you create safety with other people too. But that safety with other people actually does matter. This is where I believe we have a ton of control and we can do a lot of things. And also, if we don't learn how to interact energetically with other people then we are doing ourselves a disservice because what is it they've now measured uh, that the, you can measure the electromagnetic forces of the heart eight to 10 feet outside of the body. So mm-hmm. far, they probably can do it further, but so far, this is what they've gotten to, which means that you go to the grocery store and your energy is meshing with probably 40 people while you're there, depending on the time of day and you know, whatever it is. But there's people walking by you and your hearts are talking to one another And if they feel unsafe and you feel unsafe, then you might start grabbing chocolate chips while you're in the grocery store as a coping mechanism. And you don't even know why you feel unsafe.
0: Yeah. You don't even know why. Yeah. But I think the point you're getting to is it doesn't matter why. It matters that you feel unsafe and you have to respond to that in real time. And you have to learn to recognize what your body is telling you. You you dipped a little bit in there to communication with mm-hmm. our people, co-regulation. Can you do the BRAT, the four steps where... Yes. Uh, okay, go ahead. Explain that.
1: When we get through, this is sort of the next step after the Resentment Journal. When we get to a point and we've figured out what things can be dropped, what can be delegated, what tools need upgrading, what internal boundaries need to be set, stop buying the goddamn cupcakes, right? That's an internal boundary. That doesn't have to be... Discussed with anyone, you just can stop buying them. That's the whole story. That doesn't have to be a bigger story than that. The next thing is the external boundary piece, where you actually have to have a conversation with someone to start to shift the way you interact with one another, not to change the way they interact with you, to change the way you interact with one another. And my method for this is called being a brat, B R A T, brat. And when you speak to someone in your world who you need to shift the way the relationship is happening, the words I want you to use are believe or beliefs, resource or resources, ability or abilities, and trust. Belief, resources, abilities, trust, brat. The reason that this works is because what you are essentially doing is removing yourself from codependent relationships. And letting other people know, I believe in you, I trust that you have the resources and the abilities, and I trust that you'll get it done. And you are creating a little bit more separation between your need to solve all the problems. For instance, say your child is rummaging through. They're not even rummaging through, let's be honest. They have opened the refrigerator door and they said, mom, there's nothing to eat. They haven't even looked. You know there's 87 things in there to eat. Most commonly, your response will be one of two different things. One, you will start listing off all of the things to eat that are already in the fridge because you are keeping track of them and you know them in your brain. Two, you will get up and point out the things that are in the refrigerator and say, this could go with this or you could have this. And I can't find the eggs. And instead of saying, I trust that you'll find them if you keep looking, you say, you get up. And then you're resentful that you're getting up and you walk across the room and you grab the eggs from right in front of their faces and you say, Mm -hmm. here. You don't have to use beliefs, resources, abilities, and trust all four in every sentence. But the idea is to start giving people their power back. Say, I can't find the eggs. I believe if you look a little longer, you will find them. I trust that you'll find them. One of those two, I think you have the ability to find them. Any of these will work. But this is about giving people their power back and stop and ending your need to be in the driver's seat of everything. And it also helps you give people back their ability to feel their own emotions. So somebody's going through something and you're the fixer, you're the helper, you're the giver. So you want to change it. You want to fix it. You want to No. I believe in your ability to ask me for exactly what you need and I will be present for you. And allow you to come to me with whatever whatever it is that you need help with. And if I can meet it, then I will. But I trust that you'll come to me when you need something. I trust that you'll find the strength to ask me for what it is you need. The reason we don't use this is because we don't speak up for ourselves. So we assume other people aren't speaking up for themselves. But the more we start to trust that other people will do that and encourage other people to do that, the more we will also do this in our own lives. So BRAT works not only to help other people get their power back, but it teaches you to own your own power at the same time. Mm -hmm. When you listen to it, what was it that hit you about it?
0: I liked the language. Mm. It, it, I liked the immediate application of the tool. Yeah. You know, I believe that you have what it takes
1: mm-hmm.
0: to find the eggs. Mm-hmm. I believe that you have what it takes to figure out how to get $500. Mm-hmm. I believe that you have what it takes to figure out who you want to be in a year mm-hmm. and ask for help if you need help setting goals or whatever. Like I believe, and that's the foundation of coaching where Mm -hmm. we're trained on day one, you know, to truly help somebody, you have to believe in their ability to figure it out Mm -hmm. and do it for themselves. And the more we step in and hold other people's emotions or try to fix on their behalf, the more we're robbing them of their own happiness. And their own opportunity for growth. Because happiness comes from overcoming struggle. Exactly. So if you are robbing, I love thinking of that. I would not even dream of robbing you of the happiness of solving that problem. I'm not going to steal your thunder as the fixer, as the hero of your story. You're the hero of your story. Mm -hmm. I got to go be a hero of my story and I got my own hard shit to do. So good luck with yours.
1: Yes. And I trust that you have the resources that you need or that you'll find them.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Asking for help without me coming in and telling you what that help looks like. Be creative. So yeah, I absolutely love that as an immediate application. Can you tell the listeners, you know, kind of the scope, where to find you, your Facebook group, your course that you said, podcast, all of the things about Kate Donovan?
1: All of the things. Fried the Burnout podcast is the easiest thing to find. You just type in Fried the Burnout. And that's enough, and it will bring it up for you. So that's number one. The Resentment Journal lives on my website at katedonovan.com. There will be, it's not hard to find, it's right up at the top. The Facebook group. If you go into Facebook and click on groups and type in Fried the Burnout Podcast, again, same words, it'll come up with our discussion group. It's such a supportive, wonderful place to be. It's one of the things I'm most proud of in this world. And yeah, that's all of our places. Oh, the group program also. Yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we have, I don't know when, I don't know when this will come out, so I don't know if that's useful.
0: (laughs) Oh, it'll come out. I, it'll, I'm actually gonna put it up this next week.
1: Oh, okay. So starting on February 27th and February 28th, depending on which group you join, we have a new group of our burnout recovery group coaching program is happening. And the application for that is at katedonovan.com slash
0: unfried,
1: which I find amusing.
0: (laughs) And I want to just kind of pull this all together. Yeah. So I love a good reframe. Mm. I love reframing a problem. And so to my listeners who struggle with the drinking thing, what if You, instead of identifying as somebody with a drinking problem, which I work on all of that as well, you know, I don't identify as sober, it's it's not about the alcohol, oh what, that's the name of the podcast, what if you actually... Identify as somebody in burnout, in burnout recovery. Alcohol is a symptom of the coping skill that you've been trying to use that's no longer working. And what if you give yourself permission to not focus on the alcohol and just focus on doing the things that will correct the burnout, regulate your nervous system, and what? where are we all going? It's all mindset work. It's all how we're relating to our emotions, how we're communicating and responding our, to our needs and how we're moving through the world. And th- the outside world, like focusing on the behaviors, whether it be drinking, whether it be the job where you're overhelping, or even communicating with other people. Like none of that's all downstream. It's the upstream way of relating to ourselves. You and I, Kate and Colleen, both do the same thing, which is mm-hmm. help people think differently and look at ultimately the mindset of what you're perceiving out there changing the mindset changes everything. And so to my listeners who maybe, you know, they've been following me and they're like, I don't even want to talk about the quitting drinking. Like the burnout might be another place to just hop over there and you start correcting the, you won't be over drinking. That's a symptom of a dysregulated nervous system and of a mindset and of physical burnout. So And the other thing I wanted to say to my audience is that all of these changes you're talking about, when you drop the mindset of all or nothing, Mm. and because we get so overwhelmed with all the things we have to change, every single day I experience joy from one small thing. And then I look back and I think, okay, yesterday I cleaned out one shelf. Over here I took the load to Goodwill. The day before that, I, you know, reorganized a garage shelf. You don't change your life in one day. You change it one day at a time and you experience joy from those small changes. And we're just so used to thinking like, oh, all of this has to change, which means I can't start today because I don't have the energy. And we just get stuck in this cycle of not enough. Do you have anything to say about that?
1: (laughs) It's so relieving and frustrating at the same time when you finally start this process, whether it's alcohol or burnout, it doesn't really matter. When you finally start this process and you finally agree, you make some sort of internal agreement with yourself to actually start doing the small steps. Honestly, if you want to start with peeing when you have to pee, I'm here for it. (laughs) It's a step. It's a step. It's so relieving when you start realizing that those small changes actually make such a massive difference and it's so frustrating when you start noticing that those small changes actually make such a difference because then you start to think oh my god i waited so long when all i had to do was go to the damn bathroom
0: yeah yeah and that's the self-directed neuroplasticity that's how mm, this works is exactly. the noticing that the little thing Made a big difference. What? And then your brain wants to do it again. It's the Mm -hmm. same. How did we get here? Booze and bad decisions. How do we get out of here? One small tiny act of self-care for yourself that your body's, oh, that that did work. Oh, I do feel a little bit better. And if I do a little bit more, I'll even feel more better. And yes, waking up at 50 and realizing you've been your own problem for your whole goddamn life. And that just learning how to be a human and drive your body like it's worthy of attention. That's everything. Agreed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thanks for listening. All of Kate's information is in the show notes so you can find her podcast and her her mini course on resentment as well as all the other good stuff she um, has on her website. So check her out and connect with her. And I also want to let you know that I'm gonna be releasing some extra episodes over the next few weeks. I'm not gonna tell you when they're coming out because I don't know, and I'm not gonna put any pressure on myself. It is not my intention to start posting more than one episode a week, but I've got a backlog of like 20 interviews that are just sitting there, and so I'm challenging myself to process those and put them out there. So if you're a regular listener, you might wanna check back in and just see what else is coming. I'm still gonna post every Tuesday and. Write my email every Tuesday. These episodes probably not gonna have emails and all the other stuff. I'm just challenging myself to move through my perfectionism and put out what I have so it's not sitting there for months and months. So check back. And then also get into the show notes if you have not yet gotten my secret podcast called The Foundations of Emotional Sobriety. It's not really a secret podcast in the sense that I'm going to continue posting there. Like I have a whole other podcast. I can't keep up with the one I have now. (laughs) But the secret podcast is just me releasing this course that I created that is really a strong tool. There's eight episodes that walk you through the foundations of emotional sobriety. What is emotional sobriety? It's the skill of no longer being intoxicated by your own bullshit. So there's eight or nine mini episodes. They're each like 10 to 12 minutes. There is also a workbook that you'll get a link when you sign up to download. And the magic is in the reflection and the integration. So you can just listen to the podcast. And I, it's a podcast because I'm putting it in podcast format so you can access it on your phone. Those of you that have access to the course because you joined my pod, pod squad, or if you're one of my clients, yes, it's still on the dashboard. It's the same course. I just took advantage of this new technology with the secret podcast thing to allow my people to access it easier. So get in the show notes, register for my secret podcast. It is free. You don't have to be one of my clients. And in fact, you'll feel like one of my clients if you are working through this course. I get a lot of emails from people saying, "You know, I'd like to work with you, but I can't afford to work with you. And my response to them is, okay, then take the emotional sobriety course, listen to the podcast. I put a lot of freebies and downloads, like my ambivalent series came with a whole workbook. Those were episodes 80 through 84. So I put out a lot of free content and there's it, it's that black or white thinking where you're thinking, I want to get coaching, but I can't afford it. Therefore, I can't do anything. And the resources that I offer on this podcast as well as my website for free really leave you with no excuse. You absolutely can work with me. And if you send me an email, I always respond. So it doesn't matter if you're paying me or not. I always, you know, I want to help. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. So take advantage of the free podcast and reach out to me if you have any other questions. You can also find me on Instagram at Recover with Colleen. I'm on Facebook at Recover with Colleen. That's my page. And then I also have a private group that I just changed the name to It's Not About the Alcohol Podcast Discussion. So that's a private group and if you wanna join that, you can and then you can access me in there as well to ask questions or just interact with other people. So there's so much you can do, there's so many ways to get involved and begin to work on your mental health and your happiness, and get yourself the tools that you need to walk it back from alcohol use disorder or whatever else it is that you are dealing with. And finally, I'm going to say that if you enjoy this episode, you enjoy my podcast, please share in some way. Because if you're finding it enlightening, so will other people. And I hope by now that if you're listening, still listening, you understand it really is not about the alcohol and sharing this podcast is not an admission to the world that you have a drinking problem rather it's an admission to the world that you're working on your mental health and you're normalizing getting resources and tools and support and talking about the things that you know nobody wants to talk about at parties the more of us that normalize recovery From burnout, from alcohol, from overeating, from all of the things. The more of us that normalize that, the easier it is for the next person to join us. So that at some point there's a tipping point and it will be normal to be healthy and happy. So please share the episode one way or another. Text somebody a link, put it on your socials, and help me spread the word that there's nothing better than taking the time to get the tools that you need to reconnect with yourself so that you can live your best life. Thanks for listening and look for some more podcast episodes later this week.